Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Encourage you to turn with you if you have your Bibles to the letter to Timothy, the second epistle to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one. We shall read the first five first nine verses. First nine verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have a remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We're going to use the fifth verse for our text. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, but the emphasis this morning will be upon the following words, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and by Mother Eunice. Those are the words of emphasis. Which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy Mother Eunice. All of you are aware that on November 4th and 5th, one of the greatest tragedies, and perhaps the greatest tragedy, that has ever happened to the state of West Virginia came about the result of the flood. Great, not in terms of the number of deaths that were recorded, because we have had other tragedies that have taken more deaths, more people's lives, but greatest in terms of the geographic area that was involved, and greatest in terms of the economic loss let me give you just a few figures as background for what I want to say from those words. In terms of agricultural loss, 
The figures have now been set at $130 million. There were 7,487 cattle that died in the flood, 7,000 hogs, 2,430 sheep, a million and a half chickens, and 1.1 million turkeys. These are the last accounts that I had of the economic loss in agriculture. I don't know the dollars that will finally come out of the loss to businesses when nearly, and I think perhaps every business, or nearly every business in the city of Petersburg was totally devastated. Nor of the number of private homes that were lost. I don't have those figures. But I am told one out of every person, one out of eight people in Pendleton County was directly affected by the flood itself. These things are quite vivid to me, for I spent nine days in that flood area working uh, at my job with the health department and dealing with many of those people who had lost, talking with lots of them, trying to give many of them advice on various subjects. I have never seen such widespread destruction in all my life, and I told my family when I got back that I never want to see it again. It was uh, exhausting physically those nine days, but it was more exhausting emotionally to me than anything I had ever experienced. I came back because I needed emotional rest, not because I needed physical rest. I saw destruction on such a magnitude scale that, uh, that it was almost incomprehensible to me, particularly in the Franklin area in uh, Pendleton County and in, around Petersburg. So I watched people and participated with them in their shelters that had to be set up to care for them, to feed them. I watched them begin to dig out. I particularly recall one, one couple, a husband and wife, who were with a shovel and a pitchfork going through the ruins of their business. I spoke to them, but there was no response, for they were devastated with what they saw and what they were having to do. I saw the people as they went out to search for those who are yet unaccounted for. On my last account, there were still 13 people not reported. I watched them as they tried to find some of their belongings down the road, those are down the stream, those that had anything left to go searching for. But the thing that I really watched and observed was a, a struggle that began in devastation, but seemingly was coming out brighter than when they started. They were going to put their lives back together. And the question that kept going through my mind over and over again is, where did these people get the fortitude, the determination, and the faith to come back? Where was the resource? What did they have 
deep down in their soul that would allow them to smile in the midst of all this devastation, to look for what little remains they might have and talk about building back or finding a place to get their lives back in order. What was the resource? On Sunday morning, as we got up to prepare for our day's activity, going back out to do our job, I said to one of the men that was rooming with me, before I go anywhere this morning, I'm going to church. I've got to go to church. I just have to do it. Because I needed an emotional uplift before I could face another day. But I, I was so surprised as I went to the First Baptist Church of Petersburg that morning, and the pastor greeted me. I didn't even tell him I was a pastor. I was there simply doing a job. He handed me the list of the members of that church that had been devastated. Ten families in that congregation had totally lost their homes. Two members of the congregation had lost their business, and many, many others of them had had extensive damage. But the thing that struck me as we worshipped about 75 people probably that morning, we sang the same hymns that I had grown up singing in my home church as a boy, the same hymns that you sang in your church. I heard the same kind of sermon that was designed to lift up the spirit and encourage the people as I preached and heard other people preach over the years. I heard the same kind of prayers being offered because it was a group of people who in the midst of all this tragedy were coming together to church because there was something there they needed more important than searching for their physical belongings or trying to get their physical lives back in order. There was something more important than the physical. This is what struck me that morning as those people came together in their loss because there was something more important to do and to deal with that day than the normal activities of life trying to find their, their affairs and put them back in order. The church was a resource that was important. Jesus said back in the book of Matthew in the sixth chapter, well, let me read it to you, Matthew 6, 25 just to get it exact. Listen to what he said. Therefore I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or for your body what ye shall put on. First of all, let's listen to those words. Don't take thought for the physical things of life. I tell you frankly, I was taking a little thought for what I was going to eat. Because in one of those towns there was nothing to eat except what had been dropped in by air by the National Guard. And the Salvation Army set up a little truck that fed us sloppy joes and I was glad to get it. 
Take no thought for your body, what you shall put on. And I remember that as I saw those rooms full of clothing that had been sent from all over the country. And perhaps some of you participated in that. My home church did. And they discussed that with me just this last week. And I remembered that I had seen all of those people searching for clothing. But Jesus says, take no thought for that. For the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. So what is there that became the resource that gave these people, and perhaps many of you in times that you have faced your tragedies, as we talked about a few Sundays ago, what gives the fortitude, the determination, and the faith to face life and to put it back in order? Is it the building? This is a beautiful building. And as I sat in that church that Sunday morning and worshiped with those people, I wondered, did these people come to church this morning because of the building? And I had to quickly dismiss that from my mind because it was not the building that could provide this resource that they were needing. And I thought, well, it must be the sermons that have been preached. And I recalled the sermons that I have preached and the sermons that I have heard. And I listened to that sermon that morning with a pastor of that church, and I had to admit, no, it's not the sermons that have been preached in this church or in any other church. That is the, the, the bottom line, the resource for putting lives back together. I immediately came back from the flood and went to my home church to preach the funeral of one of the dear saints of that church whose family and I grew up together and we were kids together. And they wanted me to come back and preach it. And so I came back from over there and went, went for the funeral. And I sat in my home church, where I grew up as a boy. I preached there for several years as well. Knew every person in that congregation. And the, my, my mind was running these things over. And I thought, no, it's not this building that even gives this family their resource. And it's not the sermons that anybody's preached from that pulpit that have given the resource. But I began to picture in my mind the great saints of the church that had sat out there, like the one that we were burying that day. I'd never preached a sermon, maybe never even had taught a Sunday school class, I don't know. But I thought of all of those saints. And I thought, it is that which they had in them that we have now. The faith that is in you, Paul said to Timothy, was first of all in your mother and in your grandmother. And I thought, to goodness, you were going to get into my sermon this morning in Sunday school class. I wrote down one comment that our teacher made back there that he has used, and I, I want to quote it to you. It wrote on the back of my notes. I'm what I am because of them. That's great, and I'm going to hold on to that phrase. I'm what I am because of them. I wish I had had that phrase earlier. I'm glad you gave it to me because I can use it well now in this sermon. Why are we able to come to this church 
and get a resource from it that gives us determination, that provides us the faith that we have to face life. It's because we are what we have been made by those who have gone before us and have given their testimony at times silent, but nevertheless their testimony that will be remembered in our hearts and lives throughout our life. I sat there on that platform and I could, re I could recall vividly my grandmother and my grandfather and an uncle who were the faithful saints of that church that we had buried years ago. And I could recall others that had sat out there and I thought, goodness, I'm what I am because of the faith they instilled in me when I was a boy in that church. My faith has its roots in death. And so we can come this morning to this service and thank God in a thanksgiving service for the church. And this is my point that I want to make. We can be thankful for the church because it has been the resource of our faith. It's been the resource of our faith. Well, what other resource possibly could we have? I suggest to, be, to you that that which is in us is first of all in our family and in our friends. In this period of devastation, I worked with two men whose homes were totally swept away by the flood. One of the men I worked with for seven days, day in and day out. And I kept insisting to him that he go look after his personal affairs. So I can handle things here. You go on. You've got your own personal problems to take care of. And he said, no, there's too much here to do. I've got to stay. And he spent two solid weeks before he ever agreed to take a couple of hours and go see what his situation was. I stood in line in one of the schools that were opened up for the, to serve the food, because that was the only place I could find anything to eat. So all the workers and all of the people who were homeless uh, went through these lines provided by the Red Cross or the Salvation Army, and early on it was the Army itself or the National Guard that did the feeding. Or some volunteers and churches volunteered and did it early on, just so somebody could have something to eat and drink. And there was a lady in front of me in the line who saw the lady behind the counter doing the serving, and she said, oh, I wondered about you. I was worried that you, uh, what has happened to you. Did you lose your home? And the lady behind the counter said, I don't know. I haven't had time to go see. And this was ten days after the flood. What was she saying? I can't be concerned about my own personal welfare because there's too much that I've got to do to help somebody else. Let me tell you, that gives a person faith in mankind. When you see someone like that or that gentleman that I work with who will sacrifice their own personal affairs because there's too much to do to help somebody else. And it's this kind of faith that I see in family and friends. But I know, and I'm sure in family and friends that you know, will support you in your time of struggle. 
of every tragedy, there are always good things that come. Always good things that come. People opened up their homes and provided beds and food for those who had none. Complete towns have cooperated in assisting other towns. Churches have done tremendous things to assist other churches. There were several churches devastated, and some of them totally washed away by this flood. And I could not help but think of the Lord's words in Luke chapter 3 when he said, He that has two coats, let him give to him that has none. And it happened. It happened. That first Thanksgiving, we remember as we celebrate today, this week, our Thanksgiving, is that the Christian people were gathering together to thank God for their abundance, and they were willing to share of that abundance with those who had little or none. And that faith that was that is in us was first, I believe, as Paul said, in our mothers and in our grandmothers. And if I might broaden that phrase to say, as well, in our fathers and in our grandfathers. What's the resource that we have that makes it possible for us to come back when we have been devastated? It's the recognition that the church will support us and lift us up and pray for us and encourage us. It's the recognition that our friends and families will do the same thing. But let me make a third point. In that flood, there were many people that died. As I told you at my last count of the 13, unaccounted for yet, some of them will never be found. They're buried too deep in the rubble. Never be found. Some of them will be found when they bring some of those cars out that are still buried in, in mud or in the midst of the river. Many lives were lost. This was a great tragedy in, in, in that line as well. But there were rescue efforts that were heroic. There were rescue efforts that failed. There were people saved because somebody was willing to put their life on the line and try to bring them out. And some of those would-be rescuers lost their life in the effort. And there was one man who held on to his wife as they were swept down the stream. He said they went from one obstacle to another trying to hold on to something, and finally he grabbed the hold of a log, and he said, I had her by her belt, trying to hold her until her belt broke. And he lost his grip from her, and she drowned, and I believe she's one of those that has not yet been found. Some were successful in their efforts, some were not. Now that is a tragedy that people died. But I think there is a greater tragedy here, or at least the potential of a greater tragedy. And that is, if a person lost his life in the effort to save another, and it was never recognized. He was never honored for his efforts. That would be a greater tragedy. A greater tragedy. Jesus Christ 
loved this world enough that he was willing to put his life on the line and he died that we all could live. And that was a great tragedy. But the greater tragedy would be if you and I would not honor him and respect him and love him and serve him for doing what he did in dying that we might live. That would be the greater tragedy. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this. And man laid down his life for his friends. That happened all during this tremendous flood tragedy. But think of Jesus Christ dying for you and for me. There is greater love that no man has than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. He went on to say something else. You are my friends. You're my friend. On the Thanksgiving Day, we certainly should thank our Lord for all the good things that we have, the food and the clothing and the housing. But that is somewhat insignificant when we compare what we ought to do in thanking Jesus Christ for giving his life that we might get out of the floodwaters. That we might live. The faith that is in you, Timothy, I recognize was that which was first in your mother and in your grandmother. The faith that you have this morning was most likely taught to you by this or another church and by your family. You have it because they first had it. And you have life eternal this morning because there was somebody who loved you enough to die for you. That's the only reason you're alive. Can you imagine those people who this morning, I hope, are in church in the flood-torn areas of West Virginia, who would have to stand there and realize as they worship Jesus Christ this morning, the only reason they are there is because somebody loved them enough to put their life on the line to keep them alive. Even though they may have lost theirs as a result. How much more should we recognize the same relationship between our ability to be here this morning and sing the hymns that we have sung and go back to eat the food that we're going to eat in a little bit and to celebrate this Thanksgiving season. Why are we here? Because this love was first in Jesus Christ. He first loved us. And it is this that we ought to praise Him for and thank Him for on this day of Thanksgiving. Shall we bow our heads in prayer?
as we bow in prayer, if there is a person in this congregation this morning who has never properly honored Jesus Christ for dying for you, you've never accepted that death, therefore you've never been granted life. Would you do it this morning? Would you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if you don't know him? When we sing our invitation to him, would you come forward and make it known that you are accepting Jesus Christ because he first loved you and you want to love him in return. Our Father, we pray that you would bless us all this morning as we recognize that which we have first you had. Secondly, it was in our church and it was in our family and in our friends and now is in us to love you and to serve you as our Lord and Savior. Help our Father, those who have never made a decision for Christ to step forward this morning to accept him as the Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Going to stand as we sing, just as I am, number 198. We invite you to come forward as we sing. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.